the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn, we're having a wonderful time. It is, of course, the months of Adar. There's two Adars this year, and Adar is a time when Purim happens, and we increase in joy for the two months of Adar, even though there's only one Purim. You could ask me that question if you want. We've got a really interesting show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be in speaking with author, speaker, lecturer, Simone Jacobson, who has a relationship with the new president of Argentina, Javier Millet, and who has turned out to be somewhat of a, quite, somewhat quite of a, a philo-Semite, which, what's a philo-Semite? A philo-Semite is, people know the word anti-Semite because that's, there's lots of those, but a philo-Semite is somebody who loves Jews and uh, has really like taking the world by surprise in being newly elected president of Argentina and the fact that even Simone Jacobs has a uh, relationship with him. The second half of the hour is the portion of Titzavik and be found in the book of Exodus chapter 28 and following. The end of the week is Purim Katan, the little Purim. Had it not been a leap year, then this Saturday would have been Purim, but Purim doesn't fall on a Saturday, so it worked out. It would have been anyway, would have been, but it's the date, and so there's like uh, it's a minor Purim, and we might throw some of that in. We've got music scattered throughout the show, and we've got a really great story all the way at the end. You know what? Let's start off with a little music. This is Avram Fried, brand new, and it's called. Lenetzach, which means to be victorious. Kasu Dava 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Schultzman, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's let's do some. We got, we're waiting for uh, Rabbi Jacobson. Let's. This is Morris Weiss playing Bobolitsky. <laughs> I hope you liked it. We have on the line 
Rabbi Simon Jacobs, Jacobson, noted author and lecturer. We're going to be talking about, believe it or not, of all topics, the president of Argentina, Argentina, Javier Millet. How are you today, Simon? I am very well. How are you? Good, Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Thank God. Thank you for asking. Okay. Now, the fact that we're even talking about the president of Argentina is also warrants discussion. Like, why are we talking about? I have never talked about the president of Argentina. I've been on air for 30 years. I've never talked about the president of Argentina. So why are we talking about the president of Argentina? This is your first question to me? Yes. I'm not responsible for the things you talk about. <laughs> but you agreed to come and talk about the president of Argentina. So. <laughs> Uh, okay. 30 years ago, you would have not agreed to come on my show and talk about the president of Argentina. Well, I don't know if I would have not agreed. I don't know if I would have initiated it, but um, okay. Well, you're talking about the president of Argentina, I'm assuming, because he's in the news. Um, and he is somewhat of a trailblazer, especially in context of uh, his recent visit to Israel, his unabashed support for Jews and Israel is uh, actually traveling uh, right after he got elected. His first official trip was to the Ohel, the gravesite of Lubavitcher Rebbe. So this is getting uh, a lot of attention. Why would a Catholic, non-Jewish president of a country in Argentina be coming to visit the gravesite of a Hasidic Rebbe? And why is he going to the Kotel, the Western Wall, and then from there he's going to Rome? So I think that's a pretty good question, that a head of state who is the leader of a, a, one of the largest countries in the world, Argentina, I think that's a pretty good reason. Would you agree? I, I do. Okay. So now in, my, in my introduction, Simon, I, so I said that I, I introduced the president of Argentina as a philo-Semite, and not a whole lot of people actually know the word philo-Semite, and because I guess there's not a whole lot of them out in the world, because everybody knows the word anti-Semite, which means people who are against Judaism, but philo the word philo means love, people who love Jews. Would you, would you call President Javier Millet a philo-Semite? I probably would not. Um, uh, I'll tell you why. I think it's even deeper than that. Um, he definitely loves Jews and loves Judaism and Torah. But from my experience with him, and I've become close with him, I think there's something even bigger going on. He has a very deep sixth sense of like what is what resonates as truth. He like he actually naturally thinks in terms, and he's asked me several times, what would Abraham of the Bible say about this in this current situation? What would Moses say? He, he feels that the eternal, just timeless Jewish wisdom that goes back to the Bible, to the Torah, is, uh, is, is, is true, and it resonates for him. So I, it's like, you know, was Abraham a Jew, for example? Um, Abraham maybe preceded Judaism, was maybe they called the first Jew. So he, he, was, he relates to the whole Jewish way of looking at life. So it's not just he likes Jews. You know, some people are philo-Semites because they grew up with a lot of Jews. Jews did good favors for them, and they just love them as, as people. I think he loves the very um, idea that they represent. They brought 
morals and uh, concepts of generosity and charity and uh, human rights to the world. So maybe that goes into the category of philo-Semites. You know, I don't want to get into semantics, but that's what I sense in him. Okay, it's not semantics. Maybe it's semitics. But anyway, but how how did you, Simone Jacobson, come to have a relationship with a somebody who is now the president of Argentina? Well, we have an expression <laughs> called min hashamayim, things sometimes are heavenly ordained, and that's pretty much this category. You know, there are things we and I, you and I, and all of us make efforts. And even then, it's also God's blessings that really uh, are key. But nevertheless, we can say, well, I made a lot of effort. I invested in it. I researched. Here, I can't really give myself much credit. Uh, it was several months ago, to be exact, September 10th. I remember the day. It was right before Rosh Hashanah in 2023 that um, he, he was going to visit the gravesite, the OL of the Rebbe, the Babacha Rebbe in Queens. And um, that was due to, I think, a businessman associate of his in Argentina said, why not? You're running for president. Um, he was then just a candidate, actually an underdog. Uh, why don't you go for a blessing? So someone who knew me and knew him in the Crown Heights, where I live, said, you know, and this is pretty common. People invite me to speak to dignitaries or others just to have a conversation, share some of the vision of uh of Torah, of Judaism, of Chabad at times. And I gave him a copy of my book in Spanish, Torah Meaningful Life, translated into Spanish. And I remember when we were sitting and talking, he was there with his sister. Um, he lit up, literally his whole face suddenly started sparkling when he heard me describe my the work I did as a choza, which was someone who remembered almost verbatim the Rebbe's words on Shabbat and holidays when there were no recordings, so we had to remember hours and hours of these talks. And he, like, was looking at me with such... It wasn't just intellectual curiosity. He was like, a, I, I, I hope this doesn't sound irreverent, but he was like a chassid. He was like an older chassid looking at me like he was in awe. He said, you sat by the master and absorbed his teachings? You know, he was just uh, the concept that one person would listen to another to that extent. So I just sensed right away something unique there. I gave him the book. And I, you know, we moved on. Um, the next thing I know, a week later, on national TV in Argentina, he's talking about his meeting with me. He met one of these students of the Rebbe who remembered every word, and I even got a book from him signed. So I don't know, I, I, I didn't, trust me, it didn't get to my head. I was very humbled, actually, because I just saw he like, sensing something here, like some type of higher truth, and I was just, like, symbolic of something to him. And then months passed, um, then he got elected. How do you like that? In a landslide, and despite all odds. So I recorded them. Uh, I was doing different videos on YouTube. So I recorded a congratulations to the president, Javier Millet, congratulating him for his election and uh, wishing him the best to succeed, as we have discussed. That a leader is not just a political leader, he's a spiritual leader. He's here to also boost uh, the morale of his people and give them hope and give them a sense of moral clarity and so on. And the next thing I know, I get a call from his aide that he just saw my video and he's crying and he would like to speak to me. And he ends up speaking with me on the phone, thanking me, not sure for what, but uh, he's thanking me. And we just created a bond. It's called bonding. 
The next thing I know, he invited, he's coming to the Ohel again, New York, and he asked me to come see him. So I met him, and we spent a few hours together. Then he invited me to come to Argentina, and I met him at the presidential palace there. And this last week, he invited me to come with him to Israel. So I spent a few good days with him there. And we have courageous connection, which, again, I see is pretty divine because it's not like I've been learning with him or we know each other for years. So I just find it to be, like, you know, way uh, magical. And I feel like my role is, like, I keep telling him, whatever you need from me, direction, guidance, anything, please, I'm here for you. Okay. Um, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Rabbi Simon Jacobson, noted lecturer and author. He's We're talking about the president of Argentina, newly elected Javier Malay. How do you say towards a meaningful life in Spanish? Simon? <laughs> Are you stumping me? I don't speak Spanish. Okay, um, so you don't know. Okay. I, 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 no, I, I, can re, I can try to pronounce it. Do you speak Spanish? I do. Well, oh, so I can tell you the words. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me what they mean. I have a copy of it here. Uh, let, me, let me pull it up. <laughs> no one ever asked me that question. That's a funny question. Okay, fine. Um, I think the name of the book is, let me see, I don't find it yet. thought I had it in front of me. If it takes time, anyway, it'll come up. Let, let's, 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 uh, let's continue. Okay, so now I was, I, I, we spoke last night in preparation for this, and I asked you different things because I was sort of at a loss as to what we would talk about. So I did some research. And I said I wasn't going to ask this question, but having done my research on Javier Malay, um, throughout his life, he's held a moniker, and people have referred to him as El Loco, which means the crazy one, which, yeah. which okay, so there's, there's crazy and there's crazy. And I'm thinking... Um, it's become a uh, very fashionable thing for people to be neurolo neurologically divergent. It's like the new way. It's like people just have a different way of looking at, at things. And that's what you like a lot of inventors. They come up with these ideas or people who are like geniuses. Is it, how do they get to it? What's their geniuses is that they just think differently than everybody else. What What are you seeing with you spent time with? With President Olay, what are you what are you seeing with him and uh, such a moniker? I, I've also read and heard that, but once I've met him and I got to know him, it's completely. Uh, it's, it's, I don't recognize that at all. He's it's one of the most normal guys I've met. Very, very intelligent, balanced. I've sat with him and I see him listening very well. Doesn't speak about himself. There's no ears about him. I think some of his campaigning, he, he you know, he's a pretty guy. He's like a non-apologetic non type. He doesn't really care about what people think. So I think in his campaigning, he definitely did some antics. You know, I saw him with a chainsaw. You know, he's going to bring a chainsaw to the whole establishment in Argentina. But I didn't, in my personal interactions, have not seen anything that I would call loco at all. Um, I think he's a very passionate and very uh, determined type of individual. I walked with him for an hour through Yad Vashem. Okay, Yad Vashem is a very dramatic, basically a Holocaust museum in Israel. And very, very, uh, and he did not say one word. I thought, you know, as a leader of a country and there's media there, he'll say, oh, how terrible. 
and I asked some questions. I just saw a person who just absorbed it, and and you know he honored it with silence. So he did not. He doesn't have these antics. He doesn't have any of the things that that people think. Uh, you know. So I, I'm not here to to defend him or protect him. Frankly, it's, I'm just being honest to what I've seen. I've not seen anything like that at all. Very rational, intelligent, listens well. You know, he's very selfless. He's not political. Uh, in the sense, he's just, I mean, he's, I think, an economist by trade, so he has that. Um, so I'm not sure where that impression came from. Okay, interesting, very interesting. So let, let's, you're segueing into the next thing. Has he talked politics with you? You spent a lot of time with him. What type of thing, and if not, then what type of things have you talked about? <laughs> it's interesting. He doesn't talk about politics, not with me at least. And and even when he does, he doesn't talk about the politics. I'll give you a perfect example. I was with him last uh, it was a week ago, Thursday night. We were on the rooftop in old in old Jerusalem, right, looking over at the at the Temple Mount. You know where yeah. the hotel is. Beautiful sight. Right. And we spent like a half hour speaking from that vantage point. And he said to me the following: He said, "You know, this week was not an easy week for me because." Um, you know, so the Senate in Argentina, which a majority are not with him. He has the people behind him, but the, the parliament or whatever it's called, our, our majority are not with him. He says they basically, last minute, they decided not to ratify his, uh, I think, 650 changes to law. You know, Argentina, as you know, has gone through plenty of troubles, high, like 180% inflation rate and stuff like that. And he's trying to change that all. He didn't ratify, and it was very hard for me to accept that. But then, this is his words to me. He said, I live with a weekly chapter in the Torah, and this chapter is called Mishpatim, chapter of laws. And I wondered, what lesson does it have for me? I'm now submitting laws to my parliament, and, uh, and I realized that God also did not give all the laws in one shot. At Sinai, he gave some laws, and then he gave others as time passed. And I realized they have to do things in a paced way. Maybe I gave too many, made too many changes. Maybe I have to pull back some of them. And first, let's agree on those that we have common interest in with the parliament. And then I'll submit maybe the more uh, radical ones in their eyes. And I see everything not as a, just as a setback, as a lesson in learning. This is how a president of a country is telling me. I didn't think he was fabricating it or saying it to satisfy me. I know that he's very, very sincere about the Torah. And I said to him, look at the Temple Mount. You know, uh, you spoke about it after Yad Vashem, he gave a talk, and he talked about Rabbi Akiva, who laughed when he looked at the destruction of the Temple Mount because he realized that just as the prophecy about destruction would be fulfilled, afterwards the prophecy of rebuilding would be fulfilled. I said, you yourself just spoke about that we have to look beyond destruction at the building. And he was like, I just saw this is how he, he, he thinks like this. But I just gave you as my opinion the way he looks at politics as well. I hope he's savvy enough and not just a purely spiritual guy to know how to deal with all these things, because we all know it's not always that uh, purely transcendent. But I think his natural inclination is a one of like doing something that will be uh, not just for someone's self-interest, but something bigger. That's how I sense his relationship to politics. And that's why I think he's like a, I think he's a phenomenon in that sense. And I'm not overstating the case. I just, just my sense of what he is about. Okay, 
Fair enough. Okay, thank you. Um, you said before, Senator, you consider yourself, or maybe he considers yourself to be somewhat of like a spiritual advisor, and that sort of like my my ears kind of like started like perking up and down because I, re- I recall <laughs> that the Rachmaninoffs back in Russia had a spiritual advisor by the name of Rasputin, and I'm wondering maybe are you considering yourself like um, Malay's Rasputin? Oh, please. You know the end of Rasputin. I hope, I, I hope not, but yes. Yeah. I know the end of the Rachmaninoffs <laughs> well, also, but... Um, you're being very risque today in this uh, discussion here. Yes. You're comparing me to Rasputin. That's not exactly going to uh, score points with you. For me. <laughs> I've never been compared to Rasputin. I've been compared, by the way, to Karl Marx and okay. to uh, Jerry Garcia, um, but not to Rasputin. So Do you play guitar? Uh, no, but okay. uh, I have like that sometimes a look a little. <laughs> okay. That's when your hair's going a little loud. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, you don't have to answer that question if you don't want to. No, no. I will definitely answer the question because I was always intrigued by Rasputin. Now, they couldn't kill the guy. <laughs> right. That's the best part. <laughs> no, Rasputin sounded to me more like a devil than a saint, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and uh, and he fed on to, the, I guess, the the paranoia of the of the of the queen and her son that the hemophilia back i'm pretty familiar with that whole chapter i wrote a whole paper in high school on uh, nicholas and alexander <laughs> um uh, i uh, look i think spiritual guides is actually much more uh, appropriate i think rasputin was seen as almost like a uh, miracle worker or whatever and she like you know i don't think he trusts me in that way I think he looks at me more of a person that represents um, the Rebbe, represents the vision of Torah. And uh, so it's, I don't even take it so personally, even though I, we definitely definitely uh, we have an affinity to each other. And every time he sees me, he hugs me, and there's a deep connection. But I think he sees me as like representing Jewish scholarship. And, uh, and so it's not as uh, mystical as it may sound uh, when you say spiritual guides. And... Um, it's not like he calls me and says to me, should I wake up today and should I wear red socks or blue socks, you know? Um, so it's more general guidance. Um, but he has uh, he has the right instincts. I think he sees me as a teacher, I would say, more than anything. Because I see he adapts a lot of the things that he hears from me and from the book that I wrote in his talks. You know, we talked about Hanukkah, he talked about uh, other things. So I think it's more of that nature, more like, I would say, a mentor teacher than a spiritual uh, master, if you wish. Okay. Do you have enough influence with him to say that there's a vote in the UN concerning Israel that you could pick up the phone and say, could Argentina vote for Israel? Simone Jacobson? Well, he would not need me to say that because he's probably more pro-Israel than all of us are. So just that's hypothetical. But I understand what you're asking. You're asking if there was an area. Um, I could, but I probably wouldn't. Because, as you know, power is best when you don't use it and influence. So I would be respectful of his boundaries. You know, I, I would be careful if I would make such a call. I, I, I have that access, and I could probably uh, make a case for something that I thought I should make a case for, and I would use it if I thought it was appropriate. But you have to also respect his position. I don't want to exploit it just because we're friends, you know. Um, I would probably do something if I thought he was, let's say, a vote, important vote, had to be made that may have in the UN or elsewhere. 
And I thought that um, someone told me, or I heard that he may lean the other way. I may call him and like, or talk to him and say, you know, I just, I'm not here to tell you what to do. And in other words, I wouldn't ask him for a favor. I said, if you don't mind, would you hear out another perspective? That's probably the way I would do it. And I think it would be more respectful, and I think he'd be more responsive that way. Just telling you the dynamics of it. Okay. Do you are you familiar with Argentina now? Is it like is the government stable, or do they have like um, like the rest of South America, where every three or four months it's like they have a new president? Well, you know, here here it's pretty much. I think I think I mean obviously they could always impeach someone. It seems there's that stability. Like he's now for four years going to be president, and the election was honored. It wasn't like there was any civil war or anything like that. I think that they're in trouble in a different way. You know, I think it's almost 40, 70 or 80 years of socialist control has essentially pillaged and raped that country, a wealthy country. And there's a lot, a lot of corruption. And as I said, high rate of inflation, that's just a big mess economically. Um, and um, so I think what he has to contend with is now the status quo. You know, those that are invested in keeping it corrupt, essentially. You can imagine the powers that be. So I think that's the biggest challenge there. Um, uh, I, I, for one, and I've heard from many, many people, I think the Argentinian public really want him to succeed because everyone knows it's gotten to a point of, of it's untenable. Um, I don't know the detailed details. I'm, you know, obviously, now that I know him, I'm more intrigued. I, I, you know, I see a headline about Argentina. I'll read it now quickly. Once upon a time, I may not ask. Um, so I think that there's a lot of challenges in that regard. Um, hopefully, hopefully, you can turn it around, and that would be unbelievable. Okay, um, where do you see this? Is going to be wrapping it up now. Uh, where do you see your relationship with Javier Malay, the current president of Argentina, going? Javier Jacobson. Yeah, I, I very directly. I'll tell you. I think the divine providence here has placed me in a in a situation where I think my role is to continue to be a friend of his. Um, a confidant, and I think above all, to to use this, I think, unprecedented historic opportunity. And, I, and I'll share with you what I told him. He became president literally a month after the war broke out in Israel, a month after October 7th. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that we have an expression, that the heart of leaders and kings is in the hands of God. I think a person like that, not just his pro-Israel stance, but also that he has such moral clarity as a moral compass in a time where really we have no leaders. You know, I have not heard one leader, world leader or business leader, any leader, say anything besides, okay, let's stop the killing. You know, no one's offering a vision. No one's offering a Churchillian type of perspective. So I've told him, and I say this to you without question in my mind, I think my goal is, and, and, and I think my Mission here is to help him articulate that in a way that will get the attention of the world. We have to stand up for morality, for what is right and what is wrong, and stop this ambiguity, or to use the words of these uh, university pre- pre- presidents that said everything is context. Are you allowed to rape a little child? It's context. And to put things clearly what, where they are, um, I think there's a historical opportunity, and I have no doubt that my connection with him is, is around that. So. Being someone who's a student of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who himself was a, a tremendous spiritual leader that articulated and expressed a global vision of the world, a world that can, a world of Mashiach, a world of world peace, 
and harmony among nations and so on. I think he's in a position, for, for me, it's like the first time in my lifetime that I see naturally, not in a miraculous way, and naturally a person who could get the attention of the world and get them focused on what they should be focused on. And uh, it's not just about pro-Israel. I think it's understanding also the role, the important role that Jews and Israel play in the world to be, uh, to be a, a light onto nations and to bring a higher moral uh, calling and vision to, the, to all people of this world. So that, I hope, will be my relationship with him in that direction. Okay, you remind me of one question. I was going to wrap it up, but you did remind me of a question. What What about the the bombing of the Jewish Center in in Buenos Aires? I think it's maybe it's like fifteen years ago, maybe it's twenty years ago already. Has that come up? And they've never really brought anybody to to prosecution for it. It's a good question. It's a good question. No, it did not come up. And what I did, what I did, uh, what I did feel, I didn't discuss it with him. Is also this is where Eichmann was uh, caught. You know, Argentina was harboring uh, Nazis. So I find the irony of all of this, a country that was so uh, anti-Jewish in some ways, has now a president like that. So it's not come up in conversation, but uh, it's, it probably I may, I don't know. Uh, but I find that twist, that change is quite quite dramatic. Indeed. Okay. By the way, I found the name of the book. Go ahead. Hacia una vida plena de sentido. Does that make sense? Yeah. H-A-C-I-A. Yeah, towards of a life which is meaningful. Okay, there you go. Okay. di Santido. Okay. Plena means, I guess, uh, like like plenty? Yes. And disavido is meaning. Okay, it's plenty meaning. of meaning. Okay. Right. <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, our guest today has been Simone Jacobson, noted lecturer and author. It's been talking about the new president of Argentina, uh, Javier Millet, with whom Rabbi Jacobson has a relation. We'd like to keep us surprised of any future developments, Simone. Absolutely, and it was an honor being with you. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you for so coming. It was great ch- chatting and conversing. Okay, thank you so much. We are going to take thank a you. commercial break, and we'll be right back. Are we going to take a commercial break? Are we going? Yeah, we'll take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. It's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. That was uh, informative and upbeat and lively, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Up next, this is a brand new. This is Mendy Wirch. The song is called Chuva. That basically says, if you come back, then everything basically turns out okay.
nefilois pavoi ikar hanefilois pavoi ikar hanefilois pavoi Excellence and kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week is Tetzava. I want to talk a little bit about Tetzava, and if I have time, I want to talk about Purim Kutten, which is on Shabbos. The focus of the portion of Tetzava, the clothes of the high priest, he had eight garments that were unique to him. And if you want to look up and see what they were, I would suggest you check it out in the Chumash, in the Bible, Exodus 28 and following. I'm going to focus on the sash. 
The sash, which was a woven belt, wrapped around the waist of the high priest, which sounds fine. Okay, so he wore a sash. This sash was 64 feet long. Now, there are some corpulent people out there, but uh, 64, even if you you cut cut it in half— or fold it in half so you could actually wrap it around. That's still 32 feet. There's, I've never met anybody with a 32-foot waistline. What did he need to have such a large sash? And in the artist's renditions, so he's got this thing around his waist that he could, he could basically be wearing just a sash is how big it is. So the sash was not 30, it was not 64 feet long. It was 32 cubits. And it just so happens a cubit is the distance from your elbow to your index finger. And in the temple, that was about two feet. So therefore, so 32 cubits is about 64 feet. 32 in Hebrew, in Hebrew letters, is written Lamed base. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical equivalent. The numerical equivalent for 30 is Lamed, and the numerical equivalent for 2 is base. You put the two together, Lamed and base, and you have the word lave, heart. And indeed, this sash was worn under the heart. What's the purpose of wearing a, a sash? People who ascribe to Hasidic philosophy wear something. In Yiddish, it's called a gartel. And in Hebrew, it's called an avnate. In English, it would be called a sash. My gartel is, uh, I want to say about 10 feet long, maybe. By the time I get through wrapping it around my waist a couple of times. So it's got like a, uh, I don't have a five-foot waistline, no, either. Um, So I wrap it around my waist like twice. And then it's got a hang on each side of about maybe almost three feet from my waist, almost to my knees. I have long thighs for anybody who knows me. And the purpose of this, of, of wearing this sash is as is indicated, Lahavdil with other uh, instances where they wear a belt, like in martial arts, for example, what's the per it's the same purpose to divide the body in half we have the upper half of the body, which includes the intellect and the emotions, which are the more refined organs, the brain, the lungs, the heart. And then you have the digestion and the reproductive organs, which are below the sash. Those are the lower organs. And in our service to Hashem, we are trying to focus on the upper realm the upper, the intellect and the emotion, and elevating the upper, the intellect and the emotion, and sort of like not necessarily divorcing ourselves, but not being involved with or putting any type of primary importance on the digestion and the reproductive part of the world. So that's the deal with the with the sashes of the of the Kohen. And it was so pronounced. I mean the temple was a huge place. They would put I don't know how they did it, but I like to say Passover. There were hundreds of thousands of people who were squeezed into the the temple, like in Yom Kippur. Was it, you know the uh, the the place was packed. It was so packed. It says that the people stood chest to back, 
and it was squashed. And the focus was on this high priest. And they could see that the sash was a pronounced part of his garments. And they could see and they could tell that what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be involved with elevating our persona. What's the idea of Purim, Cotton? Just very, very quickly. How, first of all, how is it celebrated? If you want to go buy a hamantash, that's fine. It's uh, not celebrated. It, as I said on the onset, had this been a, a regular year, not a leap year, which contains an extra month, to make sure that the Passover holiday always falls out after the spring equinox because the lunar year is only 354 days. And so every three years you would lose a month. So every three years or so we add a month so that we keep up with the sun and so that Passover is always in the springtime. The purpose of Purim Cutting is it's a reminder. A li- it's called Cutting means little. It's a little reminder of how much we're supposed to increase in joy during this time. That's basically the deal. And there's a, a very long discourse which the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, gave out. Uh, was the last last discourse that he checked before he had his first stroke which compares and points out the, the, the connection between this week's portion and the, the, the Purim Cotton. And it's very long, I'm not going to go into it now, but very great point of discussion. The idea being is that we have to bring out, the joy brings out our very inner essence so that we can serve God in the modality, which we talked about before. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And we will be right back with an amazing Hasidic story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Go to rabbifinman.com, R-A-B-B-I-F-I-N-M-A-N.com. And you'll find right on my homepage, you'll find a contact page. You'll also find, somebody pointed out, yes, I do have a little bit of a biography. It was written a long time ago. I've never updated it. Am I going to update it? Well, the part that's written there is correct. It's just there's parts that, you know, since then. There's also archived editions of the radio show. There's other ways in which we convey Judaism in hopefully an entertaining and educational way. There's also the donations page, which I'm just mentioning, but I'm not going to go into any length on because, thank God, the month of February is paid. Yay! You guys came through. 
Love it. So now I get to talk about a lot. I give you a longer story, but go to rabbifinman.com. And you could also go to jewishferndale.com, which is a sister page. And Jewish Ferndale will be hosting Purim A2X on uh, Sunday, March the 24th at 5.30. We'll be having a Megillah reading, followed by a meal, followed by a concert. And why are we calling it A2X is because we will be having an art sale and we'll be entertained by the strains of Klezmer Jazz Xylophone Player, which does not begin with a Z. It begins with an X, Lori Blank. And uh, the information will be posted sometime in the future on the Jewish Ferndale website. So take a look at it there, and you can contact me and always ask for information, and uh, I'll be more than proper, more than happy. Story happened in Premishlam sometime before the year 1950 because Mayor of Premishlam passed away in, 19, in 1850, excuse me. If it happened, in, if he died in 1850, for sure happened before 1950. So he passed away in, in 1850. Premishlam is located in central Poland. A person, he was a very pious person. And uh, people would come to him for blessings. Even people who were, quote unquote, rebbies, that people came to them for blessings, would come to him for blessings and advice. So one such person, whose name is not recorded in the in the story, came to Reb Mayer for a uh, a blessing that he and his family wanted to move to Israel sometime in the eighteen forties. Now you're talking. This is well before the wave of the Halutzim, the pioneers. This is when the only people who moved to Israel from Europe were the very religious people. And he was a Rebbe type, so I guess he saw an, an opportunity. So the mayor asked this person, do you have the money for such a thing? And he said, no, I don't. And he said, well, how are you pros doing it? He said, I'm going to go ask your relatives. I'll ask friends. I'll put it out there that I need money. It's like basically a charity campaign, which we would call it today. So he said, mayor said to this, this uh, Rebbe, nah, it's going to take too much time. And he asked his uh, valet, who's the next person in? He told him who it was. He said, okay, let him in. And the side was, okay, I'm going to go. You have a private audience. He said, no, no, sit. So this person walked in, and he saw that there's somebody else sitting there. He wanted a private audience. He didn't. He was, like, confused. He said, please come in. I have a story that I want both of you to hear. Okay? So he said, in a certain town, he didn't name the town, there was a person by the name of Moshe. And this Moshe was this Moshe was a miser. If anybody would come to his house and ask for food, he would say, "I'm not running a guest house," or he would say, "Go to the guy across the street; he's got food." And he would slam the door in the guy's face. This is like you know. So there was a whole this his behavior. He was very wealthy. It says there was a, a whole hue and outcry up in heaven, and it was decided that he should lose all of his money and be reduced to begging. Elijah the prophet, who's one of the guardians of the Jewish people, said, it's not fair, no, Let's, you don't have any real testimony, let me go down and, and see if this is really actually true. So Elijah the prophet came down to earth disguised as a pauper, and he banged on the door, and he, the valet came out and said, what can I do for you? He said, 
I'm very hungry. I'm very cold. Can I get something to eat and warm up by the fire? So he said, my master will fire me if I let you in. And no, you can't. So in the meantime, this, this, this Moshe walked by and he said, what do you want? He said, if you don't mind, um, I, I need something to eat and I would like to warm myself up a little bit. So he said, I'm not running a hotel. He slammed the door in his face. So Elijah started to cry. And more that he was crying that he was cold, because now he's in a body, he uh, was crying for the soul of motion, what was going to happen. And he reported back to the heavenly tribunal that, yes, this Moshe is a miser, and uh, he deserves to lose all of his money and be reduced to poverty and begging. So then Mayor of Premlesham said, when I heard this, I said, no, 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 no. He was never warned. He was never given an opportunity to to correct his ways. You can't do that. So then the mayor looked at this person who had just walked in and said, your name is Moshe, right? And he said, yes. And you're from such and such a town. And he said, yes. And this is what happened to you. And he said, yes. And he started to cry. And he said, Rebbe, what should I do? And he said, the first thing you could do is this righteous person over here wants to move his family to Israel. He needs 400 rubles. Give it to him immediately. And from now on, your house should be an open house. And then you will indeed become wealthy and live happily ever after. Because when is it that we're truly wealthy is when we're helping others. That's going to do it for the show. I hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. Hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Maybe next uh, Friday go to the bakery or maybe bake your own. Some hamantashen. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs> Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.